There's so many variables. There's government policy. There's climate change. There's consumer behavior affecting the profitability of all these things. One way to elevate them is to get people excited about the technology that these farmers are using. People are going to be using drones. They're going to be using satellite imagery to better predict when and how to harvest their crops. Government at the union level is plowing a whole bunch of money into building these cold storage units. Once you get there, you're increasing shelf life from a product that was normally three days. You can go to seven, 10, 12 days. Welcome to CXO Diaries, the voices behind tomorrow's tech. I'm your host, AJ, and today I want to talk about food. Food is more than just sustenance, right? It's an integral part of our culture, of our lives, and our history. But with increasing challenges like climate change, increase in population, and evolving diets, how do we innovate to create a sustainable and resilient food ecosystem? And that's what we're going to talk about today with Noah Lev. Noah is the co-founder and partner with Boostable. And Boostable is a Netherlands-based innovation powerhouse that's investing in brilliant minds that's addressing these very problems in our global food ecosystem. Let's dive right in. Uh, so, Noah, thank you for coming on the show. No, hey, thanks for having me, first of all. Really excited about India Innovation Week coming up. I think it's going to be a great opportunity. Yep. Uh, AJ, thanks for having me here. Absolutely. Re really excited to have a chance to talk to you about all the things we do and have done and I'm doing and yeah. love to be here in India. So really glad to have an opportunity to connect before Indian Innovation Week. And then, you know, in December, we'll be back again to connect again. So absolutely. Yeah. Let's kick things off with uh, your profile, right? Like, so you've been a merger and acquisitions specialist, as one would say. Uh, but you have focused uh, all your career in food tech, something to do with food uh, agriculture and things like that. Um, where does this passion come from for? So it's a pretty easy one. I grew up on a farm. Right. And I saw how hard my parents worked every day. Uh, you know, limited holiday options because if you wanted to go on summer holiday, somebody had to take care of the plants. Right. Then you couldn't leave. And I saw it was a tough life, Monday to Friday or Monday to Sunday, seven days a week, 24 mm. hours a day. And uh, Growing up, I saw how tough the life was and decided naively that that's not what I wanted to do. Okay. I wanted to go to school, go to university, get some big flashy job where I could work nine to five and, you know, close up at the, on Friday afternoons and, and go on a holiday or go on a weekend or something like that. And that's what I did. Uh, you know, I, I left home. I, I went to study abroad. I, I studied in the University of Amsterdam, uh, did my MBA in Switzerland 10 years later, uh, had a career in wealth management. Mm -hmm. uh, before the MBA. And that was kind of where the big motivational change happened. During that period, um, creating wealth for others, which is your core business as an asset manager or protect protecting their wealth, mm -hmm. that's a very uh, numbers-based initiative. And so whether the market's up or down, you have very little impact on the outcome of that as an individual. And it doesn't, it's not very rewarding for me. And I think that goes back to what I grew up with, growing things. I mean, you see a crop start in a seed and it becomes a a plant and then you can either eat it or put it in the kitchen or, you know, use it to celebrate an event. And I realized that doing that with interest rates or return on investments wasn't a thing. for. And that's how I got into food. I think I, I you know, I spent some time during my MBA program at IMD in Lausanne, uh, reevaluating what I wanted to do with life and getting into food was a big part of that. I love food. I love what it does. I love what it means. It's more than just a fuel for us as humans, but it's, it's how we connect to people and 
you can connect as a you know a Dutch person in Indonesia or as a Indian person in the U.S. You can connect with people on food, and you don't have to speak the same language or or look the same or or think the same. But you put some good food on the table, and suddenly there's magic happening there. And I wanted to be part of that, so that's how I got into that space a little bit. And from there, you know, got deeper and deeper into food and agriculture, and that's where that's where we are today a little bit. Awesome. Sounds very fascinating. Very exciting. Retracing your steps, right? Absolutely. Returning yeah. to your heritage. That's yeah. uh, in the end. That's what it's about a little bit. So, but but throughout your career, you've been working at very different geographies, right? So there is different cultures that you've been part of. You've been working with and living among, right? So uh, when it all ties back to creating a, a sustainable uh, food uh, tech program, or uh, how does your experience just by living among so many different cultures have uh, enabled that for you? I think that's a great question. It's a great question because it's what we stand for with Boostable. I think if you talk about the most sustainable way to feed people today, mm-hmm. it's going to be eating, you know, highly engineered or, or not engineered, but highly nutritious food, but missing some of that tradition behind it. And having the, have the opportunity to work in Europe and North America and in Southeast Asia and now in India, you realize that, like I had mentioned before, food is magical. And it has more than just a calorie count and a vitamin A and a vitamin D. It's what happens at that moment of people at the table sitting down together. And I think mm. that's what, what the beauty of having seen so many cultures in so many countries is that you realize that it's actually a, you know, a human condition. It's irrespective right. of your passport, irrespective of your gender. People love to eat, and they should because it's so magical, right? So, and I think that kind of helps in how we approach this this challenge that's ahead of us, right? How are we going to feed 10 billion people by 2050? Excellent. And that's a tough one. You mentioned Boostable, which is where uh, you're from, of course. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what what's the core idea behind Boostable is and what you, what really drives you? So I think Boostable Cubs started out a couple of years ago when, when one of the partners, uh, Elwa Kourkou, who's based in Paris, uh, and Gopi Kotiswaran, who's based here in Chennai, we came together and we were having this kind of conversation about how do we look towards the future mm-hmm. and find a positive way to address the food challenges ahead of us. Right. Now, food as a system is huge. It's, it's, it's almost ununderstandable in the level of complexity. And so within that huge complexity, we had to focus on where could we, A, add the most value as uh, investors, as work, as, as as employees or as staff and as experts in the field, where could we add the most value? And B, what was going to make the most difference as quickly as possible? And that's kind of where we narrowed it down to, from that whole broad scope of everything, we narrowed it down to four verticals that we really focus on. Vertical one being what we call controlled environment agriculture. I think the colloquial term for that today is vertical farming. I think the invention of the LED light has allowed us to now grow plants indoors in a completely sealed off environment, which is really exciting because the longer we continue to destroy the planet we're living on, the more we're going to need these controlled environments where you can control heat, temperature, lights, humidity. And so that's where we got really excited about that space. And, And it's no longer about delivering calories, but about delivering nutritiously high food. And that's what these systems allow for. So that, that's kind of vertical one. Vertical two is this kind of idea of algae and seaweed, mm-hmm. which is a huge genome of, of a plant on this planet. And, you know, Asia, South Asia, 
some parts of North America have been looking at this product for millennial. It's been part of their diets. It's been part of their uh, healing. It's been, but, but in Western Europe, for example, it's a newly discovered product. And so what we're looking at is, is there a function within this massive biodiversity that we can use to leverage how we feed people more sustainably today? So just a quick example of that is, you know, nowadays there's a lot of this message going around of uh, cows produce a lot of methane gas. And that's because what they eat and then the natural process is part of their digestion, they produce this methane. And so what some exciting guys are doing, or people, I should say, are doing in, in Australia and also in North America and Europe, is they're looking at adding algae of a specific type to the cow's diet, and that reduces the methane emission. So suddenly, cows are producing less methane. I mean, that's a pretty exciting thing to be looking at. So that's kind of vertical two. Now, vertical three is something what we call alternative ingredients. So we don't limit ourselves to alternative proteins because uh, we think that there's a broader scope here. The application today of an egg at a bakery, they take an egg and they use it for a thickening function, for example, or foaming. Right. And we're using this very inefficient conversion system, a chicken, that you have to feed, you have to water, it has to lay an egg, you have to gather the egg, you have to bring it to the center to process it. And so by f- trying to find a plant-based alternative to this, we, we could find a much more efficient way to achieve the same result at the bakery, which mm-hmm. is the thickening of the sauce or, or something, or the cream, and not need a chicken to do it. And so the chicken can have a great life wandering around in nature, and we're not forcing an inefficient conversion in order to feed ourselves. And so that's kind of the, the alternative ingredient space. Now, the final one, which is the fourth one, is a little bit different than the others. The other three are very industry-focused. And we've discovered while engaging with people and with ourselves throughout time, we've realized that the industry is, could potentially try to force choice on, on consumers. But consumers, if we really want them to join us in this transition, we need to find a way to stimulate them, engage them, bring them along, change consumer behavior. And so a big part of that is the F&B retail tech. And so a good example of that is, you know, here in India, for example, you guys have got Swiggy. You know, if you told your parents that they would be able to order their groceries and have it delivered to their home in 10 minutes pre-COVID, let alone 10 years ago, the likelihood was they would laugh at you. Nowadays, people are actually at home. They're ready to start cooking. They forget an ingredient. They order it. It gets delivered. And now you can cook it. And so instead of turning to a subpar alternative or maybe ordering online or going out to a restaurant, they're able to cook at home. So there's a new way for people to engage with food. And so that's kind of the fourth vertical we really focus on at, uh, at Boostable. Excellent. Um, so four verticals, which are pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, how, does, how did you arrive at this, uh, these specific um, you know, technologies, right, to explore? I think that... A couple of them really are, are in our own expertise. So that we're happy to be back in our, in our own backyards. Vertical right. farming, indoor farming, it's part of what I grew up with. You know, the F&D re, F&B retail space is really where, uh, and, and technology is where both Gopi and Elwa have had a, a lot of experience in developing. And, and when we look at algae and seaweed and we look at alternative ingredients, these are things that we've discovered along the way that we want to be able to eat the things we love. But the things we love are not great for the planet. And so we have to make a choice. Do we continue to eat the things we loved? Will all children be able to eat the things we love? Or is it destroying the planet? And that's where these two algae and alternative ingredients come in because we could find a better way to make the delicious French cheese. I'm not sure how popular that is here in India, but you know, back in Europe, French cheese is really popular, a stinky and you know, gooey. And there's a way to do that now that's more sustainable than it was before. And so that's kind of the motivation that, that got us along these four verticals. Excellent. 
um you mentioned about uh, user i mean user centricity of the food tech uh, i remember um uh, having a discussion with my mother because we exclusively buy things um be it groceries or food uh, exclusively on apps like swiggy and zomato amazing and um, it just goes back to think like if your uh, if your mother can do it then that's a good technology right <laughs> that's amazing and if your grandma can do it that's even better that's right that's even so, better exactly I, well that's, i totally agree that's awesome and i'm glad that you guys are engaging you know you see a huge adoption rate here in india right there's this leapfrog phenomenon where you're able to skip some of this old technology that other countries are still working with and move right into the future which is kind of what gets everybody excited about india these days absolutely it's fantastic um, i was i was reading a little bit about uh, vertical farming and uh, a couple of stats really like stood out for me right um i mean we all, we all heard about vertical farming but you no know, you don't read about it until like like for somebody like me i had to read about it because i was doing a podcast with you awesome and, uh, um one so, more person that knows about it yes yeah. <laughs> so uh, i read a, uh, an amazing stat that said um uh in vertical farming you get to save about 95% of water and you can grow about 390 times uh the same amount of food in a, a square footage um do you think given that stat and given um uh the world's you know splurge in like an explosion in population it's it's a it's it's a no brainer to you know get there do you think that's where we will end up in i i think we're going to i think the choice is not up to us I think we've pushed the planet's resources to the maximum. Right. And we're starting to see those changes. So a great example is I'm sure you remember the tomato crisis of 3 months ago here where tomatoes went to 250 rupees and then down to 20 rupees and then down to 2 rupees. You know, climate's going to take control now and it's not right. only going to happen here in India, it's going to happen in other places as the temperatures go up, crop types that were originally there are going to change. And so we need to find a way and and we've done that humans innovate right i mean we've been to the moon india was there just a couple months ago and you're still there so the, humans we innovate we have this nature and so instead of relying on going back and trying to fix something we're going to innovate our way out of this and part of that is the 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 principles of vertical farming water reduction is a big one the ability to grow a huge amount of crop high nutritional crop you know fresh lettuces tomatoes uh, all this peppers all these exciting crops that you can grow indoors This is going to feed the generations to come and we're able to do it at a scale inside the city. You know, if you go around here here in Chennai or you go to Bangalore and you walk around uh there's less and less growth food production or growth in the cities, right? They become deserts of food actually. The food's grown outside and brought into the city. And what we can do with vertical farming is we can move it back into the cities, closer to the people because on top of the challenges that climate presents humans are pretty inefficient at moving fresh vegetables across the world you know 30% of everything we produce at farm gate is destroyed just in the supply chain whoa so you know 100 tomatoes leave the farm gate by the time they get to the consumer you've lost 70 just because the supply chain is not good the crops are damaged they sit on the shelves too long so there's you know by moving the farms to the cities we get rid of a big part of that supply chain and say hey we're finding a way to save more food deliver more nutritious food so our view on this is that vertical farming is going to you know get there now 
it's not without challenges. And I think one of the big challenges that everybody will be quick to talk about is that you have to put lights in, which consume electricity. Electricity puts pressure on the network. It creates its own form of uh, uh, energy usage, which is not necessarily sustainable. I think that conversation has a limited time span. And the reason why we're backing vertical farming is because we know that within a short period of time, that discussion about how to efficiently and sustainably generate energy is going to become a thing of the past. We're seeing a huge transition in solar energy. We're seeing biomass energy creation. We're seeing windmill, water. You know, the amount of investment that's going into these kind of technologies today means that the, the excuse as energy being the problem for vertical farming, for our, in our view, is limited. So today, big challenge. Five years out from now, I think we're hopefully going to be over that challenge and be talking about Hey, do you have a vertical farm at home? Does your grandma have a vertical farm at home? Because that's going to be the future. I also want to talk about India in particular. Uh, India is very rich in uh, and has a very rich culture and history with agriculture, right? Uh, right now, India is probably the second uh, biggest producer of agricultural products, uh, second only China. Uh, having said that, um, uh, 50% of uh, Indian workforce, they do agriculture, but agriculture only contributes to like say 18% of GDP, which is, uh, it gives a mixed feeling, right? <laughs> so um, you you have so many people working on on a particular industry, but it's contributing to much lesser than you would expect. Um, how does um, food tech in general and um, your visions in, in, in boostables and, and, the, and the focus areas that you are uh, prioritizing. Do you think uh, any of that are, uh, will contribute to you know, boosting this and create a more profitable uh, atmosphere for, pe for people to do agriculture? That's a great question. It's a challenging one because there's so many variables going on and there's, there's government policy at a national level, at a state level, at a local level. There's there's climate change, which is affecting the profitability of all these activities. There's consumer behavior affecting the profitability of all these things. So what we need to do, I think, as a society is, A, learn to value what farmers are doing. I mm. think in general, we look down a little bit on farmers. We think, hey, you produce food. That's all you do. I think we need to elevate them a little bit. That's what we're trying to do with Boostable. One way to elevate them is to get people excited about the technology that these farmers are using. So you're going to see, I think, some changes in precision agriculture where people are going to be using drones, they're going to be using satellite imagery to better predict when and how to harvest their crops. And in order to, do, and in, as the result of that being that they'll have a higher quality product that they can bring to market and as such demand a higher price for it. At the same time, what we need to have is a good matchmaking system between the farm gate and the consumer. And as long as we have these traditional middlemen that are going to push the farmer's margins as low as possible and and, and, you know, raise the price on the consumers we need. And, and technology allows for that. It allows for marketplaces to be created that didn't exist before. So that's another part that we're quite excited about. And I think the other one that I have to admit before coming to India was, before we got involved in India already now uh, more than a year ago, uh, was that we, we, we didn't wrap our head around some of the supply chain challenges here. And now what we're seeing is that there's a demand from the farmers to say, I want my produce to get to market as quick as possible at the highest quality as level. And in order to do so, we need cold chain. So okay. government at the union level is plowing a whole bunch of money into building these cold storage units. There's still a gap because the transportation system from farm to cold storage 
and cold storage to end consumer still needs to be fulfilled. But once you get there, you're increasing shelf life from a product that was normally three days, you can go to seven, 10, 12 days. Suddenly these farmers are gonna be able to look beyond the three day circle of radi action radius for them. And they're gonna be able to look at markets seven days away or nine days away. And suddenly high value markets like Bangalore city center or Mumbai are gonna be attractive to farmers here in Tamil Nadu or in Kerala. And that becomes a really interesting opportunity for farmers to elevate themselves. Excellent. Sounds very exciting. Very exciting. And um, uh, India Innovation Week is just around the corner and uh, just a couple of months away. And uh, one of the uh, main focus areas or themes at the India Innovation Week is future of food and technology. Uh, what are you looking forward uh, in, in discussing and engaging with people? I just love coming to India, so that's a great excuse to be here to have some great food and meet some wonderful people. But in addition to that, you know, you know, I, I'm going to show you something that this is pretty revolutionary. And and okay. what you're looking at here is just uh, I, I'm going to try and explain it. It's a it's a membrane technology, okay, uh, invented here in India in Bangalore. All right. And so what's amazing about this, and and caveat here, we as Boostable are engaged with this company. So what's important to see is that. What we're doing is this company is doing is it's injecting individual seeds into each one of these slots. Okay. And then it goes vertical. And then the crop grows. And over time, the membrane has the ability, the unit has the ability to expand the membrane. And so Ooh. nowadays in a traditional farm, when you plant a crop in a pot or in the soil, you already have to determine the distance between each crop. So even though the leaf might be one centimeter today, and when you harvest it, it might be 15 centimeters, you still have to leave at least 15 centimeters in between. What these guys did, or the team did in Bangalore, which we're so excited about is, they figured out that we can plant today at one centimeter distance or one millimeter distance. And then as the leaf gets bigger, we expand the surface area. And so this is beneficial for a whole bunch of factors, including energy consumption, including the amount of surface area you need to occupy a space. And so this is something homegrown here in Bangalore. It's a team that, you know, decided to let go of all the history of indoor farming and look at a blank page and draw something from the ground up. And that gets us excited. And, you know, it's here. The potential's here. We'd love to be back at India Innovation Week in December and meet people that are doing great things like this. Absolutely. Um, Noah, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, it was amazing having, having a conversation with you. And uh, we're looking forward to India Innovation Week too and uh, looking forward to meeting you in December and engaging much more. Brilliant. Thanks, Thanks for having me and, and, and I'm glad. Hey, let's reconnect again in December. Let's re-talk after, after Innovation Week. Let's, let's have a quick conversation because then I can give you some more uh, as to what we discovered along the way here. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks and a lot. Yeah, when we meet on December, biryani's on me. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite food. How'd you know? <laughs> Number one favorite food. Thanks. Absolutely. 